1: Welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Roundtable. I'm your host, Jake Jackman, and you can reach us at the show by emailing us at championshiproundtable at gmail.com.
2: Hi, uh, I'm George. I'm a Rotherham United supporter and an aspiring sports journalist. I write for the Football Forecast and I also make YouTube videos. My Twitter handle is georgierufc.
3: I'm Paul Binning, uh, the Exiled Robin on Twitter. I write the Bristol City blog, exiledrobin.blogspot.com.
4: Hello, I'm Chris Marsh. I'm a Wigan Athletic supporter. I write um, sporadically for the uh, Mud Football Express Wigan Athletic fanzine. Um, my Twitter handle is at Balton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us today, guys. Uh, we'll start making rounds where each of us will have a few minutes to discuss what our club have been doing this week. Uh, there's been a double game week, so there's lots to talk about. We'll start with you, George. Um, talk us through what's been happening at Rotherham over the last week. Uh, obviously, you got a win yesterday at the first three points, so you must be in a good mood.
2: Yeah, I'm in a fairly good mood. Uh, On Tuesday, we held to a 3-0 defeat away at Brighton. I couldn't actually afford to go to that game. But from what I heard, we appeared to be facing the same issues in defence. We did look a bit better in attack than what we saw with the week before that, with the 3-0 defeat to Villa. Uh, But Brighton did dominate us with 62% possession. And this was always going to be a tough fixture for us. But I thought we'd put up a bit more of a fight, to be honest. But, yeah, this Saturday we hosted Brentford in a game which we secured our first three points of the season. Brentford scared us with a number of early warnings from them and we did create a number of chances. Youngster Izzy Brown, who we've got on loan from Chelsea, went through on goal one-on-one and Brentford keeper Daniel Bentley saved it. Uh, We went 1-0 up through Danny Ward uh, after 32 minutes. Uh, He scored against Brentford last season as well and we managed to hold off Brentford for the rest of the game and it's a real good confidence boost for us and a much needed win and we got a stand innovation by the supporters as well
1: yeah a lot of people this season that are sort of predicting Rotherham as one of the teams to go down I think I've said that before on this show I think Rotherham might struggle maybe that's my own lack of knowledge about the league I don't know but what are your thoughts about Rotherham this season do you think that you are going to be in a relegation fight or do you just think that you're being written off a bit too soon
2: Uh, Yeah, definitely. I think we're going to be in a relegation fight. When you look at a lot of the teams at the bottom, I feel like we've got similar squads to them and it's so tight at the bottom. I am optimistic. I think we will stay up. But if we hadn't have won against Brentford, I'd be much less optimistic, I think.
1: Yeah, just moving on to you now, Chris. Uh, Obviously, uh, it was quite an entertaining game yesterday for you guys. Uh, Unfortunately, you didn't win. But what was was your thoughts on, on the past week at Wigan?
4: Um, been a bit of a mixed bag this week. Um, we drew at home on Tuesday night with Birmingham in a game that we generally dominated without scoring. Went behind to um, a rebound from a penalty. That first of all, <laughs> he was offside when he won the penalty, and then the, the guy that scored the rebound after the keeper had saved it, after Bogdan had saved it, um, was two yards inside the box before he even kicked the ball off the spot. So we were a bit unhappy about that, to be honest, but um. Scored a late equaliser and snatched a snatched a point in a game that we um, didn't really look like we deserved to to lose. We'd had a couple of decent chances, and then yesterday we go away to Nottingham Forest and score three away goals and still end up on the losing side again. So it was a bit of a strange one yesterday. Um, I think it's it's early doors. We've we've um, let Jason Pearce go in the summer and. Um, <clears throat> He and Craig Morgan last season had um, a very strong partnership at the centre of defence. I think out of the 20 games that they played alongside each other, we won 13 and drew seven and, and didn't lose. So, and obviously that was, I suppose, towards the latter end of the season when we were cantering up the league. But um, we've replaced him with Dan Byrne from Fulham, who so far everyone seems to think he's useless. He played an awful back pass through last night for the first goal. It, it, uh, never never ever going to get anywhere near the keeper and he also looked at fault for a couple of the others from the highlights that I saw late last night I didn't go to the game yesterday but to go three goals three score three goals away from home and still not win um, is, is a bit uh, disheartening. The one good thing I think so far this season is that Will Grigg is still scoring. There's been questions over whether he's been good enough for this league because um, he's been promoted out of the league one twice but immediately sold back down to league one clubs and there was always that sort of question hanging over but he's scoring goals so that that's um, a positive for me at the minute
1: Yeah, obviously if you do uh, score three goals away from home you're not going to be on the losing side too many times if you keep that up so there is positives to take from that uh, Yeah, you yeah. just touched on Will Greek, but obviously he's like world famous now after after <laughs> after that chart I'd just like to know a bit more about him as a player I haven't seen him that often I just want to know what your uh, thoughts on, on him as a player are and like uh, how good you think he can be
4: I think I think he he can he can go as far as he wants he works hard for the team he he um, playing as a lone striker and when he first came in last summer early on in the season he seemed to struggle um part of me but I think we weren't necessarily playing to his strengths he runs the channels well he holds the ball up he brings people into play he never stops working and he's a poacher you put you flash a ball across a six yard box and more often than not he'll tuck it away but he he scores all sorts of goals he scored a brilliant header at Blackburn Last, against Blackburn last Saturday that sort of, I don't know whether you've seen it, it, it was a miss it shot that, that went his way and he just sort of reacted and looked it over the keeper. But uh, yeah, I think he's he's been a fantastic signing for us.
1: Yeah, we'll just uh, move on to pool uh Bristol City obviously had a very good start, got two wins in their first two games and then since then come up against two relegated sides and have been on narrow defeats. What, what are your thoughts about Bristol City at the moment? Yeah.
3: I think it's all done quite nicely there. Yeah, I think a great start for us. Two out of two, and a, and a league cup win thrown in. So a great start to the season. But you know, looking at the fixture list, I think we knew going to Carrow Road and following up the home game against against Newcastle was always going to be a big test. And and I think it so approved. Um I think we're we're looking better organised than we were last year. Um, we lost four nil a ridiculous number of times last year to us to a lot of top clubs. So in some ways, to come away with two narrow 1-0 defeats at Norwich and at home to Newcastle, almost a sort of sign of some improvement. But um, I think the main issue we've got, we're not actually creating enough chances. I think in both games, we've played pretty well. We've had a lot of possession. We've not been outclassed um, in the main. But um, we're just not creating those clear-cut chances and giving our strikers the the sort of sight of goal they need to to, to have an impact against a team like that. Um, Partly, I think we're still just trying to work out who... Who goes where? He, I talked about Jonathan Codger on this show a few weeks ago, and he scored 20 goals last year and hasn't really played up front in the position he played in yet in the four games. He's played played sort of one of the two, and he's played out wide the last two games. And although he's played well, he's just not getting close enough to that goal, I don't think, to get, get the chances in. And what that also means is you got Lee Tomlin sitting in behind, playing in a sort of number 10 role. And he had a lot of the ball yesterday against Newcastle, an awful lot of the ball in, in that sort of space, just five, ten yards off the back four. But there was no one in front of him making little diagonal darting runs to, to you know, give him something to go for and give him, give him an option. So, you know, no, uh, no disaster yet. Absolutely not. You know, two 1-0 defeats, not to be sniffed at. But you know, a big game, another big game at home to Villa next Saturday to try and pick up, uh, pick up the results again
1: yeah a play you didn't mention there was tammy abraham i just wanted to know your thoughts on him because uh, i saw lee johnson called him a 20 million pound player i think in the press a few weeks ago when he signed and i just wanted to know what you thought uh what you, uh how you think he's performed and do you think that he, he is sort of at that level and do you think that maybe bristol city couldn't get a player like that if it wasn't for the loan market well,
3: no or well, if certainly couldn't get a player like that if it wasn't for the loan market um lee johnson's He's a bit like his old man, to be honest. He's very good at providing these little one-liners for press to pick up on, and that's certainly one of them. I think. I think uh, what he was indicating was: if you've got a guy who scored three goals in every four games at a top Premiership youth level, then and they can come and do a similar job in the Championship, then that's, that's the sort of value they'd be worth. And it, it came out, uh, yeah, it came out differently he's got real potential you know he's an England 19 striker he's six foot five he's pacey he's got strength he's got skill as well which you always get of a tall player like that and you know three goals in three games at the start of the season show he's got an eye for goal as well and he's he has looked good he's what impressed me I went to see him at Wickham in the league cup and it was a tough old game against a lower league team and we we went one up his game management skills for a 19 year old I thought were excellent you know, it's a sort of term fans might not like hearing out of managers and coaches but he was just holding the ball up and he let the ball run out of play when there our set pieces rather than trying to get excited and and produce fancy bits of skill and trying to do too much I just thought he played a really mature game in that sort of front you know very much number nine type role um he's got real potential he really has and you know what uh what he needs to start learning and I think he's faced out the last two games as the slightly better defences when you come up against Norwich and Newcastle. He's been somewhat nullified and Norwich pretty much put two men on him and didn't make, didn't let him move. And I thought Newcastle sent the halves yesterday were very solid. You know, he didn't do anything particularly exciting, but they're pretty solid and, and didn't really give him a sniff. And he's going to have to learn how to come off those strikers and find himself a bit of space or find himself different angles to run in, which maybe he hasn't quite had that challenge yet in his career. And yeah, but that's exactly what he's what he's with us for, and I guess really what you know exactly the point of a loan market for those premiership teams is to give someone like that that sort of test and challenge and try and build their experience up so they, they become better players.
1: Yeah, my thoughts on him yesterday were that maybe he struggled a bit with the physicality of our centre-half, but, you know, that's something he's going to learn and he's, he's going to get better as the season progresses. and exa- That's exactly why he's come online to Bristol City, to yeah. sort of get that experience. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, he looks like a very good player and he sort of has the right instincts from what I've seen uh, of Bristol City this season. So, I th- think he's going to do very well this season. I'll just move on to Newcastle now. I'm obviously on the other side of that, that match uh, against bristol city and i'm slightly happier i've had to come on the last two weeks and sort of talk about defeats and where we've been uh pre-season favorites that has been a bit uh, disappointing so i'm happy i could come on today and just talk about our back-to-back wins which i can't remember the last time we've had back-to-back wins so that's that's a very pleasing side although it in a division lower than what we're used to it, it's still massively pleasing um The Reading game, was uh, we didn't play too well. I think uh, the scoreline flattered us on another day. We we could have had another loss, but we took our chances. Uh, We look a lot better at the back. We're not conceding so many sort of silly clear-cut chances as we were at Fuller, but against Huddersfield, so that's pleasing. It sort of shows the... uh, the effect that Rafa's having on the training ground, which which you'd expect him to, because you know he's a very good manager, and although he's he's adjusted to this division like our squad, you know he's doing well, and you could see uh, in that match yesterday, it was sort of a typical sort of championship game. We got the goal, and then we sort of battled hard to keep it. I think we d- we were very well organised, and we didn't give up too many clear cut chances. So you know that's for me. That's I'm very happy about that because. Our defense in the first few games was very, very poor. So, you know, it looks like we're making progress. Um, There's a lot of rotation going on in our squad at the moment. It doesn't look like he knows what his best team is. even the captain got dropped in the week which was uh dis- which was weird because you know he's only been captain for a few games he's already been dropped but this sort of shows that raf is not, not afraid to drop anybody which you need to do in this league because we've got a big squad and if, if we are going to go up we're going to need to take players out without not performing and it sort of just gives them a kick up the ass so you know we'll need to do that at times but yeah you know it's, it's getting a lot better there's still a long way to go i don't think either of our wins were sort of really good performances i, th- I think we've dug in and, and Done what we've had to do but we haven't sort of got into that free-flowing football that we want to play this season and i think as the season progresses we, we will get better and better and that's already shown i'm really pleased with dwight gale uh already top scorer in the league and hopefully he's sort of going to stay up there because we signed we signed him for a lot of money. I I wasn't totally convinced by him when we signed him. I thought, you know, I he's been at Crystal Palace for quite a long time. He hasn't really had the minutes. I wasn't sure how he was gonna fit into our system, but he, he seems to have fitted in perfectly. He's uh, scored all types of goals, which I think is important in this league. He's not just sort of uh, sort of scoring like poacher's goals. He got the, uh, his goal yesterday was really well taken. He scored a free kick in the week, and yesterday he could have scored again when he turned the defender and sort of yeah. fired in a snapshot from range. So again, that it showed his quality. Alex. I think what is evident with Gale is he does sort of have that extra step. He has that extra level of quality where a lot of players in this league don't. So he's always going to score goals. And we've got Alexander Mitrovic coming back in after his suspension on Tuesday in the League Cup. So we'll see how he does. I think as a partnership, they'd work really well because Mitrovic is sort of that tall target man. And Gale's sort of going to buzz in around him and sort of play off him, which, you know, in this league... Partnerships like that do very well. It could could sort of be similar to sort of what Sam Vokes and uh, Andre Gray were last season. So I'm hoping that is the case. Um, I think we're still going to do a lot of transfer business, both in and out. We've got... um, Moussa Sissoko looks like he could be going into Milan for 35 million euros, which is ridiculous because he's not a very good footballer. Uh, despite what you saw in the Euros, if you've watched him like I have for the last three years, he's not that good. And he's certainly not 35 million pound good. So, you know, we'll take that money and reinvest that. We've uh, been linked with uh, DeAndre Yedlin from Spurs, who I think would be a solid addition. And I think we, that we're probably going to bring in a striker and maybe another winger. Newcastle fans have. I'm sort of obsessed with anti knockout at the moment they think we're going to sign him i don't think we're going to sign him i think there may be interest we put a bid in and then we just got we just got um brighton just returned to us and said we're not selling him and then we've moved on so newcastle fans are obsessed with him at the moment that's all they're talking about they just really want to sign him but i don't think that's gonna happen so yeah it's gonna be a lot of business but you know two wins out of four it's not maybe what we expected but i think the two early losses were good to sort of you know, lower expectations and sort of make us realize where we are. And the last couple of games shows that we've learned from that. So hopefully that continues, but we've got a tough run coming up. We play a lot of the top side, so it's going to be adjusted to see what happens. But yeah, enough about Newcastle. I'll move on to the topics for today. Um, I just want to talk about ownership, really, at each of our clubs because there's more and more foreign investors coming into football. And I think we've seen it a lot in the championship. Uh, Tony Gia, at Aston Villa, very vocal on Twitter. Um and then there's obviously Chelino at Leeds. So I just want to talk about the owners we each have at our own clubs and whether we, hap- uh, or, and whether we are happy with them. So we'll start with you, George. What, what's the ownership uh, situation like at Rotherham?
2: Uh, Rotherham United were run by chairman Tony Stewart, who owns the ASD Lighting Group. I don't have a single bad word to say about the ownership of the club. In 2008, he bought the club. We were in, ad- in administration preparing for a season in League Two with a 17-point deduction. He basically saved the club from extinction and in 2012 he took us from playing in exile at the Don Valley Stadium in Sheffield to an, and built our new stadium back in Rotherham. And this brought people uh, together again in the town. People were excited and proud of Rotherham United again and he's took us on a crazy journey from League Two to the Championship. He seems to manage the club finances quite strictly, but I kind of like that because it's sensible. So he's not prepared to overpay for players, but he also ensures we have the right team to compete at this level. So, yeah, I'm entirely satisfied with it.
1: Yeah, uh, Chris, uh, uh, Wigan, what, what is the sort of situation like? and Are you happy with it? Is it, is it sort of similar?
4: Our owner until recently was the famous Dave Whelan, who I'm sure you've all heard of. Um, towards the end of his tenure, it was a bit of an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> he pointed Owen Coyle. That didn't go well. He pointed Uwe Rosler. That was not necessarily going right. I mean, he took us to the playoffs at the end of, of one season, and then we seemed to struggle at the start of the following season in the championship, ultimately in the season that we got relegated. Um, he sacked Rosler in November. Um, whereas quite a few of us felt that if he'd have given him the till the end of January and let him sort um, let him sort out his squad because there was rumours of uh, a couple of players causing trouble in the squad, that if he'd have managed to get them out, we'd have been all right. We ended up, he went, and we ended up with Malky Mackay, which again, <laughs> unmitigated disaster. No one had any understanding as to why that had happened. The the thing with Whelan was, um, <clears throat> pardon me, he, he had a son or his son-in-law, I think it was, that unfortunately committed suicide a good 20-odd years ago. And um, if if that hadn't have happened, Dunk, Duncan would have been um, in charge long before we had these problems with Whelan getting towards the end of his tenure. Um, his, his grandson, Whelan's grandson, Duncan's son, David Sharp, who's now in charge and sort of the owner after all the business with Whelan in the papers with, with Malky Mackay. He stepped down, and and young David took over. Now at the time, he was only about 21, 22, something like that. So he was the youngest owner of a football club in Britain. It was felt that sort of <clears throat> it, it was always it was always that Whelan was going to pass it on to him. It was just that he was too young to take over, and Whelan was getting on and getting a bit seen. See now, since David's come in, it's been fantastic with um, the business with Mackay a lot of people were disillusioned with what was going on at Wigan. It put sort of a, a sour note on the end of Whelan's tenure because from Whelan taking over in 95 for the 20 years that he was in charge, it was it was fantastic. We rose up through the leagues. We had eight years in the Premier League. It culminated with us winning the FA Cup and then unfortunately getting relegated in the same season. And then after that, it was a bit of, bit of trouble. But... Um, He's uh, he let David he let David take over and David's been brilliant. He's um, he appointed Gary Caldwell who <clears throat> was fantastic for us last season in, in League One. So we've got a really young <clears throat> chairman and manager combination, but they work well together. Caldwell had been at the club for a number of years playing and then joining the coaching staff when he had to retire injured, and. Um, we, we haven't got a bad word to say about David Sharp, he's a fan, he's always been a fan, he's, he's young, he's only 23 but he's grown up watching with an athletic, he's a supporter like us, he just happens to be the one supporter out of all of us that owns the club and he hasn't put a foot wrong so far, his transfer business has been astute, where we've tried to sign players, he's done it in the right manner. We've we've um, had to cut our cloth accordingly. We're getting relegated, and obviously this is the last season of our parachute payments from getting relegated. But we've we've managed to let get rid of players that we needed to get rid of because they were a big drain on the wage bill. And being and we've we've gone from having an aging team to a young, hungry team that cantered to the the League One title last season. And and last season was brilliant. It, it sort of for one of a cliched phrase felt like we had our club back after what had gone on previous.
1: That's really interesting because, you know, he, it, that could have went very, very badly wrong it, given his yeah. age and everything. So, you know, it, it's it's obviously gone well. You know, you got back into the championship and you've got some good early results. It sort of looks like you're building something good at the club. It might might be a slow project. You're not going to go and spend millions and millions. But, you know, it's better to have something like that than a 4 owner to come in and do something completely stupid like, like it's happened at Leeds. You know, I think that that sounds a lot a lot more stable. So I think that's, that's a good thing. Paul, Paul what is the... Uh, Bristol City ownership situation like it and you happy with that
3: yeah couldn't be happier I think I think maybe it wrong fans, of this because done with some Leeds and Blackburn and Cardiff fans perhaps but uh no I mean Steve Lansdowne's been in charge now for well, I'm not sure 10 15 years at Ashton Gate he's a Bristol boy his son's on the board Um so he he's one half of Hargreaves Lansdowne and I think of FTSE 100 um, the share share dealing company billionaire top 200 richest person in the country And he's invested tens of millions of that wealth into the club. So, you know, the last any number of years, I think he's written off roughly £10 million losses a few years in a row where he's been trying to build something and get us higher up the ladder. Um, And, well, I guess the end result, really, of a lot of that was was yesterday. We actually had our our biggest crowd in 26 years yesterday, and that's because he's pretty much knocked down three quarters of a stadium and rebuilt it, mainly mainly on his investment. So, yeah, he's... Yeah, fantastic for the club. I think if there were one or two areas you'd you'd look to question. Um, A lot of fans don't like the Bristol sport concept. Personally, I think it's very understandable and it works for business. But basically what he's trying to do is create a a group of sports teams that he can use to generate more revenues off each other. So he's brought a rugby club under the fold and they now play at Ashton Gate, which he never did before. So the, the stadium and the pitch is being used, you know, another 15, 20 times a season. Bristol ladies play their football. He's got a basketball team that use. And it, it all makes a lot of sense. You know, you can buy tickets on the same ticket hub for all different sports. You found that Bristol Rugby last year, I think, got three or 4,000 more fans, roughly on average, than they ever have done before. And that was a lot of Bristol City fans who have never really been before and never really tried it. So it all makes a lot of sense. It's all about utilising assets and generating extra revenue streams and all the sort of business speak that despite... Fans wanting to spend a load of money on transfers. They don't really like hearing their owners and their their MDs and their chief executives talking about. It. But but it's essential. Um, something he actually saw in Barcelona when he went out there on holiday ten so twelve years ago and thought the concept worked quite nicely. And is trying to trying to repeat something here on obviously a much you know much smaller scale. But yeah, and generally he's a, he's a businessman, so he's got a billion pounds, but he's not investing sort of half of that in the club and trying to you know, spend silly amounts of money. It's, you know, you could, you could argue eight to 10 million pound a year, is silly, but, you know, he's not trying to spend 30, 40 million pound we haven't got every season. Um, I think if the one slight negative you would pick up on is maybe some of his managerial choices. And although we're told the board are always unanimous and they're always involved, certainly two or three of the names we've had over the time has been friends of his or friends of the board rather than maybe the the complete sort of search and scour of the land you'd maybe expect. And it hasn't always worked out like that. But, uh, you know, saying that, we couldn't be happier. You know, we're a good 40, 50 positions higher up than we were when he took over. We've got a fantastic new, newly rebuilt stadium. Um, We've got all sorts of facilities underneath that stadium, which makes such a difference. I mean, the difference to yesterday, having 22,000 there, which is, you know, seven or 8,000 more than we had before, and an awful lot of them were in and around the stadium by one o'clock, buying food, drinking, watching TV on the big screens. And that's just facilities we never had before. So, you know, people are spending thousands, tens of thousands of pounds every week they never spent. And it's all part of that, you know, that vision he's put together. So, yeah, I think you know, no, no complaints here, that's for sure.
0: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact
1: Yeah, it seems like none of you really have that many complaints. So I'm going to have to take one here and just criticise Mike Ashley, which I, which I can do. So I'm willing to do that. Um, to be fair, he's got a lot better um, over the last sort of six to eight months. I'd say he, he's got a lot. He's sort of being advised better and he's not doing anything that stupid. Um, there's been better fan engagement. Um good ticket prices, there's been investment into the squad. He's obviously brought in Benitez, who, who the fans love, and he sort of got him to stay here after relegation. So, you know, he, he is investing into the club, and he sort of does want the club to do well, because at the end of the day, he's not going to make any money of a club that's going downhill and sort of going down the league. So he, need, he wants to be in the Premier League because he wants that money. So uh, that is probably where we're going to end up, whether it's this season, next season, or the season after. We will get back there. Um, so, you know, he's doing everything he can to do that. And he's sort of, I'd say, out of the public eye. He's not really at the club. He never goes to games. He doesn't really comment on the club. Um He's just taken a step away from the club completely, which which is probably what he needed to do because the fans are never going to like him. He's done too many stupid things in the past. He renamed the stadium, the Sports director, Arena, brought in joking air as a director of football, and that was disastrous to say the least. You know, uh, lack of investment in the past, and then there was that load. Uh, there's been protests time and time again. So he's never going to be well liked at the club. I think he's slowly rebuilding the sort of a relationship. He's he's um employed the right people in the right places he's not getting advised by people like Joe Kinnear anymore which which is good for Newcastle and you know it does seem like there's going to be a new era at the club uh under Benitez which which you know I, I really would like as a fan because I've, I've had enough of a, sort of what had been going on and, and you know we've had two relegations under Mike Ashley which is not good considering he's only been uh he's only owned the club for sort of about just under 10 years so it's not really great is it that we've had we've had two relegations in that time but you know it's getting better and that's all you can ask for I just um like to ask each of you what you think of sort of the foreign ownership situations at Wolves and uh, Aston Villa do you think is that something that you welcome at your club if if that sort of level of investment came in or do you think that uh, do you think sort of the bad publicity that they they get obviously Tony Gia saying stuff on uh, Twitter like uh, Aston Villa are going to be the biggest and most well supported club in the world that that's only going to make you a laughing stock, but obviously he's investing in it, and it, it's sort of good to have those in ambitions. I'm just want, I'd just like to know what your thoughts on that is. Um, I start with you, George. Would would you sort of welcome that level of investment at Rotherham, or it can go south very quickly as well as as we've seen at Leeds? So I just want uh, would like to know your thoughts on that. Uh,
2: yeah, certainly. I think I'd welcome it at some point because obviously we're one of the one of the smaller clubs in the championship, and it would bring a lot of revenue and money, but. It is a bit weird to see them on the social media accounts, tweeting things like that. So perhaps it does have its downsides. Yeah, it's the same question to you, Chris.
4: It's a bit of a strange one because if you go back to when Dave Whelan took over Wigan Athletic in 1995, we were on the verge of going bust. So we've sort of had this situation, but from a, a slightly different angle. We had a millionaire owner who took us up through the leagues from the old Division Three right up to the Premier League. And he did it. We, we used to get accused of sort of spending our way out of divisions. We did spend money but most of the time we did it by <clears throat> um, offering better wages than most other clubs at the same level we were at. We did it and we got into the Premier League and we got into the Premier League at the time when not long after Roman Abramovich had taken over at Chelsea and it what, became, what was a millionaire's playground suddenly became a billionaire's playground and we had an owner that didn't have enough money to compete there. Um, so we were sort of we, we've done this on a smaller scale, but with a with an Englishman in charge. Um, pardon me, foreign ownership. It's. It, I don't. I can't see it going any other way. It's only ever going to carry on happening. This sort of thing. The only, the only, the major thing I have with it is they're quite happy to pump all this money in. But like you said, things can go wrong. In particular, at Leeds, P- Portsmouth. Look at what happened to Portsmouth. There's there's numerous clubs down the years that have ended up in similar situations to Portsmouth it's all right until we decided they've had enough. But the other side of it is that they're all pumping money in and most of that money only ends up in one place and that's players and agents' pockets. And at the same time, we're generally getting pumps for higher and higher ticket prices. i seen a thing the other weekend about Aston Villa have sold out 4,500 tickets at Sheffield Wednesday, I think it was at 42 quid, and people were saying, oh, well done, well done, Aston Villa sorry but we shouldn't have be having to pay 42 quid for a game in the championship and it's all right saying oh, the premier league have cap tickets away tickets at 30 quid newcastle in particular your club last season did a lot of the reciprocal pricing didn't they with certain clubs 20 quid you charge us 20 quid we'll charge you 20 quid for away games which i think was fantastic and it's it's all right with all the money sloshing around the premier league but when you get a step below that and there's not as much tv money knocking about it's still us that are getting pumped for ticket prices um With regards to them on social media, I do think it's quite funny. There's enough, there's enough idiot support club on uh, supporting uh, idiotic supporters tweeting rubbish on social media before the owners start joining in.
1: Yeah, the reciprocal pricing is something that Newcastle did well. And I think uh, we've always been good on prices. I don't think Mike Ashley's ever charged too much. And that's why St. James' Park often sells out and you get good away following. So, you know, that is what owners should place above players and, and things like that. Because at the end of the day, the fans are, you know, the club. And if you don't have supporters, you're not really going to have a club. But... um. Well, I'd just like to come to you on the uh, Wolves situation in particular because that is really interesting because they're bringing in all these sort of foreign players, um, a lot of them with links to Jorge Mendes, uh, the super agent who's sort of linked with Ronaldo and, and Mourinho. Um, would you sort of welcome that at Bristol City, just all these players coming in, sort of uh, playing for a contract in, the, in England, then moving on to bigger and better things? That's what I think it, it is there. So w- would you welcome that or do you think that that sort of destroys what the club is about somewhat?
3: Yeah, I think I mean that one in particular for me. Just it, it already looks dodgy, doesn't it? You know, you just got to wonder where on earth it's going to end, and you know, maybe it it will be you know a great story for them and get back in the Premier League with all these good players. But you've seen a few of these around, and you know, you just got to question, wonder whether um, you know how it's really going to end. I think I think the foreign is tricky. I think it's yeah you know, if you've actually done any analysis, are foreign owners any better or worse than than British owners? I, I don't know, you know there's been some pretty awful British owners in the you know the football League in the last four you know five, ten years. and I guess until you actually you know do that analysis, you look at Leicester, foreign owners, everybody came in, they started talking about being in the Champions League in within five years, and everyone scoffed at them. so yeah, it does work out not all the time, but it does work out, but I think mean, what you just talked about there in terms of wolves compare that with Leicester, Leicester's approach was to bring in some sort of solid million pound type players to get them up, get them into, you know, where they needed to be and, and progress fairly gradually. Although had. And that would be the preferred method for me, if anything, you know, if you've got 10 million pounds to spend, spend it on eight players, not on one or two players and, you know, make something out of it in, in that way. And I think, you know, it, there's different approaches, but as I said, that's, I don't think that's necessarily a foreign versus domestic ownership, you know, discussion. I think that's a, a general, rich, ambitious ownership discussion to have. And, you know, there's a lot of I said British owners out there who are a lot worse than, than others. The extreme cases like Chilino at Leeds are obviously, you know, highlighted by the press and they're a big club, so you see it a lot. But yeah, as so I'm saying, I'm sure there's lots of others out there who you really not in front of your club who are British as well.
1: Yeah going to grow because at the end of the day, all these owners want a piece of the Premier League and Premier League clubs are so expensive now that you can't really buy them. So you have to buy the Football League clubs to get them into the Premier League. And that's not easy. You know, it's not hard to get out of the Football League. So it. A lot of owners might come in, buy a club, try and get out of the Football League for a couple of seasons, can't do it, and then, you know, get relegated down down the division. So I think it's going to be something we're going to see more and more of, unfortunately. But uh, we'll just move on to Player Watch now. I'd just like each of us to discuss a player that played well and a player that didn't play well in our most recent fixture. If you don't have one of each, uh, you can pick somebody from the opposition squad if you want to. So we'll start with you, George. Um, Who impressed and disappointed in the most uh, recent fixture for Rotherham?
2: Uh, I was impressed with Brown on his debut in our recent fixture against Brentford. He's on loan from Chelsea. And for someone who's only 19, he already has great experience. He played in the top Dutch league last season with Vitesse and played 24 games for them. He's already demonstrated his keenness to go up the pitch and take players on. He's very fast, which is always going to be a problem for defenders. He also showed an eagerness to win back possession. This is like highlighted when he tackled one of the Brentford players and went through on goal one-on-one. And I'm excited to see more from him in the weeks to come. Um, in terms of disappointment, if you'd have asked me prior to our recent win, I'd have said new signing Kelvin Wilson, uh, who's a centre back from Forest who joined us, he started to scare me a bit. Um, but however, in our recent fixture, I think he played well. So In terms of a disappointment, I'm going to have to say Richie Smallwood, who played in our centre midfield. Uh, He came off on from the bench and it's a bit of nitpicking because I feel like all our players played well for the first time. Uh, But he made a few stray passes and a couple of questionable decisions trying to get around players. But like I say, I was pretty satisfied with everyone.
1: Yeah, uh, Izzy Brown was a very good sign. And when he signed, I thought he, he would do very well at Rotherham. I think he did OK at Vitesse. I saw him quite a few times last season because I, I, I do watch a lot of Dutch football. I think he did well. And I, th- I think yeah, it was the physicality he was perhaps lacking. So a move to uh, Rotherham is a good move for him. And he sort of gets to test himself in the championship. Um, yeah, We'll just move on to you now, um, Paul. Uh, who uh, impressed and disappointed in the loss to Newcastle? Uh, I might enjoy listening to this, you know. <laughs> um.
3: I mean, think not start, start with the positive, I think um, I sort of predicted at the start of the season that we had two or three bigger priced, bigger name signings, but Gary O'Neill for me was exactly the sort of experienced, battle-hardened midfielder we needed, and I thought he had an outstanding game yesterday actually, I thought him and Jack colback had a had a great battle in the middle of the park, and um, really went sort of face-to-face, and, and you know, both, both play well, you know, both came out of it in a good way, but you know, really battled hard, and he's just given us that bit of composure and that touch and control we need in the middle um when we have Corey Smith back alongside him we're really looking forward to, to that sort of partnership and seeing how that comes because Corey's been our sort of star midfielder for the last two years and having O'Neill there alongside him could be a, you know really make it a really strong part of the pitch for us um the other guy that's really impressed me actually is um uh the Icelandic defender we signed from Juventus uh Magnussen I mean he, he just really composed on the ball and he can He's a six foot something centre and a half, but he can ping a diagonal ball forty, fifty yards out to a touchline pretty accurately. He's had a couple of shots that haven't quite hit the mark. But you can see he's got a he's got a hell of a hell of a left peg on him. And I'm you know, looking forward to seeing how he how he develops in English football and hopefully can can become a really established part of the side. Our main problem position, to be honest at the moment, is right back. Um we signed Adam Matthews in the summer on loan from well, sorry, we signed him on loan last season. And we signed him for the season on loan from Sunderland. Um, it, it seems he's come back. Well, I think the manager's words yesterday. He seems like he's had an eight-week summer holiday waiting to be signed and isn't fit enough. And he played for, I'm not sure how long it was, Jake, 10, 15 minutes yesterday and, and had to go off with a, a, um, a hamstring injury. So we got a problem there because we sold Luke Ayling to Leeds last week, who has been our right-back for a couple of years. Um so Mark Little came in, he's so his third choice right back, and he's he, he had an okay game yesterday, but he's had a couple of dodgy games so far this season, and I think we've got a, a real problem there. and From a position where we're maybe looking at having two more signings before end the end of August, I think we're now very much looking at three with a, with a loan in place to to cover Matthew's injury, and hopefully he can come back and, and be fit. But it's a real shame because he was, I think he's 24, but he's quite experienced. He looked solid last year, and he looked exactly what we needed in a solid right back position but yeah, for whatever reason he seems to have not necessarily come back to a club with the same level of fitness or even the same attitude he had last season and needs to needs to sort that out pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, just move on to you now, Chris, obviously uh, I'm expecting a lot of defenders disappointed and a lot of attackers impressed but uh, is, is that the case?
4: Um, sort of, I think I, I alluded earlier to Greg um, impressing, playing well Um so far this season Yannick Wild sure to Absolutely, ran ran rings around League One players last season. Has, has looked okay, but um, doesn't really look like he's uh, quite quite carried his form over. I should say he's just a little bit off the boil. But he's he's another one. He's pace to burn. He will cause a lot of defenders problems this season with his pace. Um, defensively, D- Dan Burney we signed from Fulham to replace. <coughs> oh, sorry, before J- we we let Jason Pierce go. I alluded to earlier, He's he's looked poor, but again, I suppose it's going to take time for them to get settled. But the the other thing was yesterday we seemed to um, I don't know whether it's that we missed David Perkins because he was out injured. He was one of he was our player of the season last season. Um, just sitting in front of the back four and and stopping a lot of what what was pressure in our defence. And we and we seem to have missed that yesterday. From speaking to people or reading Twitter regarding yesterday's game. Um, it was the midfield more than anything that let us down yesterday, and and uh, the defence come under too much pressure as a as a as a result of the midfield not really having hold of the game properly
1: yeah I, di- I didn't actually I, I didn't go to the Newcastle game yesterday because I, I c- couldn't sort of get the logistics right but I did watch the game on Periscope uh, with, with one of the <laughs> supporters did uh, film the game which has which happened every single match of season for Newcastle which is an interesting way to watch the game because obviously you're going to waste up your phone battery videoing the game so I, I, I did uh, watch the game and I thought Dwight Gale obviously impressed he got his goal he, he sort of had one or two chances and, and took it so that's really pleasing because you have to be you know that deadly when you when you get chances especially if we want to go for a promotion we're going to need our strikers to to take the, their chances when they come because we're not going to dominate every game and some games are going to be tough and we're going to have to dig in so it's really pleasing to see that but the player I really want to talk about is Johan Gufran um, he'd never played uh, under Rafa Belites until Wednesday he, he'd never been in a squad or anything he he seemed like he was going to leave Um And a lot of uh, fans were criticising him for sticking around and just taking the money because he's on quite high wages. But he's come in the last couple of games. He's done really well. He puts a shift in. He he does very well defensively. He he helps the left back out, which in, in the first couple of games, the left back was very exposed. So it was really pleasing to see him do that. And he does offer something going forward. He has a bit of pace. And in this division, you know, he's played, he's played in, in League 1 uh, for most of his career and, and then the Premier League. So this is going to be a step down in quality. So he should be able to do a bit more in the attacking third. So it's, it's really uh, happy. I'm really happy to see him come back in and do, it, do something and earn those wages because it's quite annoying when players sit there and sort of take 30, 40 grand a week and don't do anything. And The player that sort of disappointed for me was the goalkeeper, Matt Sells. He's come in from Belgium. He's sort of quite an imposing goalkeeper. He's quite tall. So I thought he'd be quite good at crosses and things, but he did, he didn't look comfortable at all. He was flapping a lot. And on another day, he, it it could have gone bad. He could have could have been at fault for a goal. Uh, he punched out. To, I think it was Kodia near the end, and he sort of blazed it yeah. over. Yeah. yeah. And on another day, he could have taken that, and we we could have lost two points. And when we've got Tim Cruel, Caldaru, and Rob Elliott at the club, I don't know what he's doing in the first team. I think those three goalkeepers all have experience uh, in in the lower leagues, and you know I'd rather have one of those in, in the team than him. But you know i'll give him a chance it takes it sometimes take a while, it takes a while to settle in and get used to the physicality he's obviously a good goalkeeper he played in the champions league there's League clubs interested in him so i'll give him a chance but if he continues to sort of look that uncomfortable i'd rather he wasn't in the team because it just makes the defense uncomfortable and it, you know they can't trust him to come for crosses, and it, it is a worry um
3: but yeah just yeah. finally before we wrap I thought, up talk- I thought, I thought a bit about yesterday jake actually i must admit I, I thought defensively you were pretty sad but once or twice we did get in behind you or did get close it looked suddenly a little bit all over the place and I wonder if that was part of it and um, I agree I thought army had a good game yesterday um, for an hour and we went off then and, and Gail as you say I mean Rafford must have been delighted yesterday because it was such an organised performance you were so well structured your back four barely moved from their flat back four line the whole game they were you're really disciplined, and it's exactly the sort of performance you'd expect to see from a Benitez side. And as you said earlier, you're going to need someone like Gale up front to take those chances because you're probably not going to create hundreds of chances in a game with him in charge. But with Diami and Richie supplying Gale, you've got you know, you've got that chance to snatch these one on two, one and two chances when they come along. Yeah,
1: I think it was just that it was the perfect away performance. I think you know, get the early goal and then uh, then just be well organised, keep 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 the clean sheet. And for I I I don't think you created too many clear cut chances. Like you had a lot of the ball in the final third. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like you were getting in a goal and shooting loads. And I, I think the uh, the shakiness in the defence is probably due to the goalkeeper. And I expect that to improve even when he does or when he's replaced. So I'm, I'm a bit concerned about it at the moment, but I'm not overly worried about it. But yeah, just before we wrap up the podcast today, I just want uh, each of us to give a brief preview of our games next weekend. Um, we'll start with you, George. Uh, you've got a trip to Barnsley. Uh, How do you see that going?
2: Uh, well, I'm excited for it, obviously, because it's uh, Yorkshire Derby. I feel like both teams are... Similar in terms of quality and depth in the side. I feel like, though, as we've turned the corner, I'm much more confident. Um, But I have been impressed with Barnsley and how they've adapted to life in the Championship. Their 2-0 win over a strong Derby side catches the eye. Our new striker, Tom Bradshaw, will be a real danger for us. Uh, We missed out on him. Uh, We thought we were going to sign him and then he joined them. So he'll definitely be a threat. Uh, Our defence does still look a bit shaky but we're better going forward so I'm hoping that compensates for it. Uh, I think we need to be better coming out and shutting down players but I think our team's adapting to Stubbs' style. He's a new manager, he's coming from Ibernia and he wants to put his own ideas into the team. He had a clean slate and I feel like the signings he's brought in are starting to really gel together but Overall, because I think the teams are so similar, and a few Barnsley fans follow me, I think I'll think I'll go for a draw for this game.
1: Yeah, just moving on, to you know, Chris uh, Wigan. You host QPR. who started very well, and have since sort of gone off the boil. How do you see that going down? You confident?
4: Um, yeah, our home form's good. Um, we uh, we had really good home form last year. Um, last time we played QPR was when we lost them in the playoff semis. When uh, they Did they go back up after that? Yeah, they did. Um, Zamora ended up scoring in the final. Um, they, uh, they played Barnsley Tuesday night in uh, in a game that was end-to-end and Jimmy Floyd Asselbank didn't seem too happy with the performance of the referee at the end, who uh, coincidentally is a Wiganer that I went to school with, so I found that quite funny. <laughs> um, I think we should do alright. It depends on which Wigan turns up. If it's the Wigan from yesterday, then we're always a, looking like a liability to concede goals, but when we've got the fire firepower that we have, I think we can do all right.
1: Yeah, and Paul, you've got the uh, third relegated side. Obviously, you've lost to Norwich and Newcastle. Do you think it's third time lucky and you can get something from the game against Aston Villa?
3: I think we've got to be hopeful, yeah. I mean, being at home, you've got to see this one as the most winnable of those three. We all respect to Villa, but the way they went down last year, there's a lot of rebuilding to do there. And um, But they are starting to do that. And I think, you know no idea yet, really what sort of side we're going to be facing there next week. You know, signings are coming in. I think, you know, in Chester, Yedinac and McCormack, they've got a pretty strong championship core now. Um, You know, one or two more signings this week, potentially alongside that. And it could be quite a, quite a challenging lineup we're facing, but yeah, got to be hopeful. Um, So we've got to, I think Lee Johnson recognized after the game yesterday, we've got to do something to create more chances, as you sort of indicated, you know, we didn't create a lot, although we had a lot of possession in and around the box. So be interesting to see how we change things and try and put Villa under a bit more, you know, direct pressure maybe in, in, in the actual eighteen yard box and see if we can attack any of that frailty that's still there from the end of last season.
1: Yeah, I saw Tony Gia today just bringing him up again. He, he tweeted that they've got a world-class striker coming in. So I'm, I'm excited to see Messi turn up at uh, Bristol City next week. I'm <laughs> very excited to see that. But um, yeah, just uh, Newcastle, we've got a home game against Brighton. I think it's on Sky, the late kickoff. So that's going to be a very, very interesting game because Brighton are a good team. They They were very unlucky not to go up last year. They've kept all their players. They've added Glenn Murray, um, Oliver Norwood, who's good in this division. So, you yeah. know, they're going to be a tough game. They haven't lost yet as well. So um, the pressure's going to be on us to win. We need to. I think we need to win our home games. We lost to Huddersfield in our opening uh, game at St. James' Park. I don't think we can afford another loss. I think Brighton go, sh- should go there with so much confidence because they can look to play... Uh, counter us sort of play on the break get actually knockout running at our, our left back so who, whoever plays neither of them are that great when they're being run at paul Dubbett or kieran clark so i, I think they should go, i think it's gonna be a very tough game i'm not looking forward to it but the, i did see their uh match against reading i saw a, a sort of extended highlights and they looked quite shaky at the back and i think we are a better team than reading and if they couldn't beat them it, you know it's, it's just stupid to think of it this way but um i i'm I'm fairly confident, but, you know, I I do respect Brighton as a team, so I'm going to go for a draw. I think it's going to be uh, that early. It's early in the season. Both teams are likely to be up in the top six and neither of them will really want to lose. So I think it's going to be sort of it's going to be an entertaining game. But I think it's going to end 1-0. So uh, that's my prediction for that. And with that, we are now out of time. So uh, thanks so much for coming on today, guys. Uh, If you would just like to tell people where they can reach you or any sort of projects you're involved in, now would be a good time.
2: Uh, my Twitter handle is georgiausc. I have a YouTube channel where I do football vlogs and I sometimes talk about my opinions on games and things around the world of football. Uh, and I also write for the football forecast, so I always share my articles on Twitter if you want to check those out.
4: I write for the uh, Mudhutter Football Express, which is a Wigan fanzine, every now and then. You can follow that at the editor of that at Mudhutter. Um, I'm also on Twitter myself with at @elbalson. E L B A L S O N. Thank you.
3: And Paul Binning, Bristol City blogger. You can find me at the XR Robin on Twitter.
1: Yeah, and you could uh, get all my writings. Uh, EPL Index, uh, the Boot Room, uh, Newcastle 360. I literally spend all my time writing. Uh, I also I started doing Championship betting previews for Get Bet Smart. So that I, I yeah, I'm not doing great. I've got four out of nine right so far and you know if you want to lose money check them out but yeah uh, uh, thanks so much for listening today and we hope you can all join us again soon